0: spanning the nerd world, and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. You're going to have a busy weekend because you've got a ton of stuff to watch. It's episode 373 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and let me tell you, the sheer amount of stuff that's either on now or that's going to be coming up here shortly, it is insane. So much good stuff to talk about. And this week, I've got a ton of great guests to tell you all about it, starting with the final season of Bosch, airing on Amazon Prime Video. Titus Welliver, who plays Bosch himself, going to talk to me about the final season and what the future of the character is going to be. Also, I've got Zainab Ja on the show this week to talk about the new movie on Hulu called False Positive, which is very eerie thriller that I think you're really, really going to dig. And then also going to talk about Motherland Fort Salem. Once again, this time with the series' creator, Elliot Lawrence. Yes, we're going to drop some episode one spoilers and tease what's coming ahead this season, which is a lot. Trust me on that. Also going to talk about Batman The Long Halloween Part One, a spoiler filled review of that. All the latest nerd news to talk about and a couple of amazing sponsors this week. Care of is back to help you with your vitamins and supplement needs. Also, another great deal from HelloFresh to talk about. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. We better get moving, right? Teddi Swaliver going to talk to me about Bosch next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, brother. This is Josh Segura, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The longest-running series on Amazon Prime Video is about to come to an end, kind of, the final season of Bosch is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video and I got a chance to catch up with the star of the show himself it's Titus Welliver. Titus how you doing man?
1: I'm good how you doing?
0: Pretty good man I'm excited to talk to you about this final season of Bosch. Excited
1: to talk about it man far away.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong man but when you guys were shooting this season at the time you kind of thought that this was going to be it right?
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, it was uh, it was kind of the, you know, the fog of war. We didn't really have time to kind of stop and fully grasp the, the, you know, the magnitude of melancholia. You know, we were just, you know, shooting in a pandemic and the protocols were very, very rigid as they had to be. And so, you know, the that thing, which is sort of the bonding agent of, you know, shooting a film or a television series is the social intercourse that exists in between setups and scenes etc 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 and meals and stuff and you know all of a sudden you're eating out of a plastic box and you know you run in and you pull your mask down when they say action you do the scene then when they call cut you pull it back up and you run back into your Andromeda strain tent so I think it was very abstract for us we were so focused on being safe getting the work done and doing it well I would say, you know, Jamie Jamie Hector and I would kind of laugh and say, did you notice that we're acting really fast? And there was a quality of that. There was a quality of like, Jesus Christ, we've got to just let's just say it fast and get it done. We were we were anxious despite the fact that Amazon had literally created a a bubble for us that was completely safe. You know, to the look, anything is foolproof, right? Mm-hmm. But I never felt for one second in the entire time of shooting who you know there's a loophole something's gonna have you know i'm gonna get sick if anything i i kind of removing that that component the social component we all felt it and then by the time things were done and i got the call to say hey we're thinking about doing this next chapter i was completely off guard and taken by surprise. And I was already in the process of looking at, at, at other material and was was in fact actually working with, with a writer and uh, developing two other projects. So when I got that call, I was overjoyed. Uh, not because I wasn't <laughs> invested in, in the other things, but it was sort of a, a question of, you know, survival and artistic sustenance and private school tuition that I was kind of right. saying, well, I better, I kind of need to, I, I don't have time to rest, but also that kind of foreboding sense of Jesus, you know, and we're who knows how long this virus is going to continue to its destructive path a, a, across the globe, and and what is that going to look like? Will we? Will there be other things to do? And that was all kind of projecting, like, well, we we would hope X, or we would hope Y. So uh, when I got that call, I was excited, and I found the idea very interesting. And it kind of it satiated a, a, a part of me that I've always said to Mike Connolly, and I've read, I've read all the books, some of them, you know, multiple times over the years. But I've always kind of liked the later books, because I feel that, you know, Harry with age, and when he is no longer part of the enormous uh, organization, that is the LAPD, and he's on his own, that he's more vulnerable, very vulnerable. And he's made a lot of enemies over the years in the department because he's a guy who wouldn't tow the company line. He's always been a guy with a flawless moral compass and very much on the righteous pathway. So you have to imagine that you take that guy out of that, you put him out in the world. And there are people that are going, you know, like the character of captain Bryant in blade runner, when he says to, to Deckard, you know, you, you, you ain't cop, you're little people that Harry suddenly is in that position and when you take a guy like Harry and you put him in an even more vulnerable position and then you come after him he's even more formidable than he was before because suddenly he goes well I don't you know I got no backup so it's it's him and now we're looking at a guy who's ultimately going to have to access his skill set which is vast but how did, how did he access that stuff and still try to operate within the parameters of the law? So I think it really, really good stuff.
0: Absolutely, man. Now, there's been a lot of tough cases for him over the years, obviously. And But when there's a young child involved, it, it always makes it that much tougher. So for somebody who takes all of his cases very personally, how much of a toll is this season actually going to take on Bosch?
1: It's a culmination of him trying to navigate and keep his moral compass intact navigate the corruption and the greed and, and, and all the dark, bad ambition of people. And it culminates into Harry, the fact that there, that there's a, a, a child and an unborn child that are victims of this crime. It's, it, it puts him over the edge. It sends him over the edge. And that makes him extremely dangerous to people who want to manipulate or, you know, their own personal gain. Uh, because what we see is we we see the resolve in Harry, and he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care who gets hurt, meaning politically. The implications of these people that are manipulating and sweeping things, or you know, deflecting or distracting. He's never really cared to begin with. He's always taken his licks. But I think what we see it on a much higher level, and that, uh, and even the the higher-ups and the and the puppet masters in this scenario realize that they've poked the bear and and they are trying to head him off at the pass and in more ways than one and as you know because you've seen seen the season it it's pretty crazy
0: No doubt about that. Speaking of poking the bear though, we see we actually saw this in the trailer so this isn't a spoiler it looks like Maddie is actually going to become a target at some point. So obviously that's going to make things very personal. So I want you to talk though about how special that bond is between Harry and his daughter and what it's going to be, what would it be like for him if something actually happened to her?
1: That became an active choice by the writers and the producers is that how do you get to a guy like Harry? And so with the death of Eleanor and, and Harry being thrust into the position of being a single parent of a teenage girl, his vulnerability and the fact that he might, you know, this is a guy who's always operated from his heart and very much in the moment and from his gut. Now, how, how does that how does that manifest? Does that does that mean that he's going to be careful? Well, he's not, right? And that's a source of conflict between he and and Maddie, particularly when he went undercover and she couldn't get a hold of him, you know, and then he almost was killed. And that, you know, she addresses that. She says, "What if what if you had been killed? You know, where does that where where does that leave me now?" that became the tool of of which they could depict that vulnerability and they could exploit that because that's the that's the one that's the one compromising bot in in Harry's armor is Maddie. So if somebody's gonna go after Harry, that's a one on one thing. And they better be good at it mm-hmm. because he's not just a cop. I mean he's formidable. You know, he has this completely separate life as a special forces operator, which makes him profoundly formidable for bad guys and they don't have that knowledge and we saw what happened when guys came to kill harry in his house they got killed or, or as, as i said when we were shooting that scene so we said what's the substance of that and i said they came to the wrong house
0: <laughs> um, that's right
1: you know so by developing the relationship between harry and maddie it suddenly allowed the audience to see that that would be the one way to get to him that's the only way harry could be compromised but the misunderstanding about that is that he obviously would give his life to protect his child but now you've got people coming after her that's bad news that's bad news for the bad guys
0: no doubt about that potentially
1: very very bad news for them as well because it's not you're not dealing with a novice you know if somebody's going to send someone to deal with him they're going to send the highline pro they're not going to have boo-boo the fool from down the street give him you know $2,500 and a 38 special and say go kill this guy it's not going to happen that way
0: absolutely not but speak, I want to take you back to last season for just a second because based on what happened last season obviously Edgar will have a lot on his mind heading into this season so how much could what happened there actually put a strain on his relationship with Harry.
1: Well, that's where we find them. Uh, You know, Edgar is really wrestling with his own morality and the fiber of his inner being, his moral compass has been somehow magnetized and Harry is aware of that. And so he, as he sees J. Edgar wrestling with this and being tortured by it, he gives him lots of room and Harry's covering for Edgar and, and his absence and his kind of neglect to his job and their partnership. But then when it becomes too much and Edgar's sort of being self-absorbed, understandably so, when it compromises the integrity of people's safety is when Harry really kind of unravels. And there's the, that's, the kind of, that's the beauty and the dynamic of that relationship because they've been through it together. Harry's been down that road, but Harry is a more internalized, tends not to to demonstrate those feelings or that, and has tried to kind of mentor and and help facilitate some sense of Edgar regaining his center, but he can't. And now it affects people's safety, and that's where it, it becomes, it, it strains their relationship. But I have to always imagine that beneath that, while there are two, very, very different people. There's a, there is a depth of brotherhood and, and, and they have a genuine affection for each other. But there's that and then there's the reality of mistakes get made, people get hurt or
0: killed. Absolutely. Really quick, really quickly, Titus, before I let you go, obviously when we are going into any final season of any series, fans want that wow factor. Fans want a little bit of a sense of closure. So as somebody who's been with Harry for seven seasons now, you're obviously a fan as well. So without spoiling anything, how happy do you think fans will be when they see what they're about to see? Because were you happy when you were, when, when things all ended?
1: Well, it was, it's, you know, that's a double-edged sword. I, I, what i think i think and it was not necessarily uh by design there's not closure because you know as harry bosch always says closure is a myth i think there is some sense of resolution at the end of the season but there is as well a tease there is a string and a pathway for the audience to harry's future and i think that is really exciting that's one of those moments that i refer to in a film or a book or even a piece of music as a perfect smile there's a perfect smile that that occurs and I look I I look forward to people experiencing that because I experienced it when I read it on the page I had a involuntary Cheshire Cat grin on my face and I thought oh you know that's a that's a really beautiful beautiful gift and gesture for the people who have so have been so uh, loyal and supportive of our show. And also the people who, uh, you know, who have dedicated to reading all of Mike's wonderful books.
0: No doubt about that. So get your grins ready. Bosch fan season seven begins on Amazon prime video on June the 25th. Ty- Titus Welliver, thank you so much for joining me, man.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure.
0: Let me tell you such good storytelling in this final season of Bosch and some good twists and turns a lot of very very high emotions in this season as well I mean that's typical if you're a Bosch fan you know that anyway but this season especially there is just so much raw emotion going on and so many characters dealing with some big big issues and in its final season maybe one of the best seasons of the show to date, and that is saying a lot so make sure you're watching Bosch the final season streaming right now on Amazon Prime Video. Again, thanks to Titus Welliver for joining me this week. Up next, going to talk to the creator of Motherland, Fort Salem, the Freeform series, Elliot Lawrence, joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Melanie Scafano. I play Wynonna Earp, and you're listening to the
2: Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: If you saw the season two premiere of Motherland, Fort Salem on Freeform, you know that the show wasted no time in kicking things into high gear with so many incredible things going on so with episode two on the horizon i wanted to catch up with series creator elliot lawrence to kind of tease ahead about what's to come and talk about some of the stuff that happened in episode one so episode one spoilers ahead in my conversation with freeform's motherland fort salem series creator elliot lawrence so elliot after seeing this second season premiere it's clear the scope of the season is going to be much larger, at least I think it is. Do you feel like all the character building that you did in season one kind of allows you to really hit the ground running in season two and open things up?
3: I do. I think we we leave season one in an incredibly dynamic place. And, and our amazing network, who makes a home for this show, was like, how are you going to keep that up? Because we kind of need to. And it really delivers in that sense. And, and the nice thing about this season is that everybody's emotional story is very tied into the big plot stories, too. So it doesn't feel like tacked on it's very kind of integrated and intricate like we do so i can't wait for people to see it
0: yeah there's and there's a lot already that's happened this season as a matter of fact we saw at the end of last season the sacrifice that tally made for alder and and even after again spoiler alert if you haven't seen the first episode even after that was reversed there still seems to be a real connection there so how much is that really going to change things for tally going forward this season
3: It's huge. You're right to pick up on it. And I'm glad you did. You know, this connection to Alder through the Biddyship network, which we actually get to see in episode one, which was so cool, is a very, very deep connection. You know, it's kind of like familial. It's almost erotic. It's psychological. It's not something that's as easily as snipped as it seems when Isadora does it. And so what's going to happen is that Tally has access to Alder's memories. And if you remember in episode 110, Alder and Tally had this conversation where Alder was very clear about, you know, I'm a general and I've had to make terrible decisions my entire career. I stand by every decision I've ever made. Through this connection, we're going to explore the question, maybe not everyone. Maybe there was one that kind of got away. And it's, you know, that this slips into Tally is is alarming to Alder because this is something she wanted to keep contained, but that's not how PTSD works. And so, yeah.
0: That's right. And I love that we're diving into that too, as well. I can't wait to see where that's going to be going in future episodes. One thing that I really loved, Elliot, about the season two premiere was that conversation that Scylla had with Willa and they're kind of going over, okay, what was the spree responsible for? What, what were they not responsible for? And it seems like they want to kind of get down to the bottom of things too, But at the same time, I feel like we still can't really trust Willa. So how much can we trust her? And do you think that this is allowing Scylla to kind of see both sides of things a little bit more?
3: It is. And I think think they're both on the same journey in terms of maybe reexamining what does it mean to be a member of the spree. We also learned pretty early in the season that the spree is not some sort of perfect monolithic structure. It's individual cells, and there's a lot of sort of dissension even within the spree and so what we'll see and it's kind of the big story of the spree is 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 the spree re-examining their priorities we're going to see the army do the same thing and and how could they not even though there are enemies right how could they not readdress things in the face of an enemy that is even worse than the spree could ever be you know the Camarilla
0: so and let's talk about that enemy here for a second we Oof. see in that premiere I mean it's horrifying Elliot I'm still like my skin's still crawling after what I saw in that first episode. So how much are we going to learn about their true agenda and motives though, coming up this season? How early?
3: We're going to learn a lot. And and the, the great thing about this season is we're going to put a face on the camera, which is pretty exciting. We don't get to know this terrible man until a little later in the season, but he's incredible. The actor and we're just so thrilled with how it all came out because, yeah, we're going to start to see how they work. Not only that, how far they've infiltrated. You know, this is a, a, a the definition of a genocidal hate group. You know, but sort of supercharged, and they're behind a lot of things in history and in the present day. And so, it's going to be a season about examining how deep they've gotten.
0: Talking to Elliot Lawrence, who of course is the creator of Motherland Fort Salem from Freeform. Now, Elliot, I feel like there's going to be some questioning of general alder here after especially after what happened in the finale and maybe we saw a little bit of that in the in the premiere as well can you kind of, can you can we see some friction building into the ranks i mean we know that anacostia is a little a little weary now can we see that kind of build a little bit more
3: you're right man alder is being questioned by Anacostia, you know, when she puppeted the president that was very shocking for Anacostia to witness. And so there are cracks in the facade and it's also a season about examining power structures for their corruption perhaps, for their outdatedness. I'm not putting necessarily any of that on Alder but that's the journey of the season and Alder is kind of a living institution. And so we're going to really kind of examine her very deeply and traumatically this year too.
0: Yeah, that's the one I've really got my eye on. I can't wait to she's see her. She's incredible where, where too.
3: Just such a fun character. She she's so terrifying, but there's humanity there too, and you you never know where you are with her, but you wanna love her
0: and uh oh. You just described it so perfectly. That's like in my brain right now. So yeah, that's that's absolutely true. But I know what fans want to know about they want to know the status of Ray you know they got to know what's going on with Scylla and Rayel and everything that's happening now Amalia told me last year when I talked to her and I want to make sure I get this right she said Scylla will never stop fighting for Rayel and looking for her now obviously you know they're both alive and they'll find that I'm sure they'll find that out eventually but a reunion would obviously be a huge moment for fans how much extra attention does something like that get in the writers room, given what you know the fan reaction is gonna be and the and the expectation level that there is for something like that.
3: Well, luckily we, as the writers of the show, are as excited about that romance as our fans. So we feel like we're in lockstep with them. And I think, you know, Rael and Silla are these celestial bodies. And as writers, it's about getting them close enough in each other's orbit to cross again both physically and ideologically, and in terms of the history and the sense of betrayal that is part of of what they feel towards each other, but they also love each other, and they're no, by no means over. It just, it, take, it takes a while to get them in the same place for, for
0: us, so. I just heard your fan base make a huge sigh of relief when you said- Oh yeah, that we, <laughs> we're with
3: them. We are right with the fans. We love those two together, and, and the way that those two actors inhabit the screen together, is incredible, so we love it too. You Just had to get there.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure you'll get there eventually. Now, before, I, I want to make sure I get this in too. There's going to be some new recruits that we're going to see this season. We've already seen Penelope in the season two premiere, but at the same time, Elliot, I'm, I'm I'm excited to see these new faces. But do you feel like there's more of a desperation in the search for new recruits this time? And does that actually create an even more an even higher risk level for the army too? Absolutely,
3: you're you're on to the right stuff, man. It's it's. You know, it it is everybody's really worried, and in episode one, which we can talk about a little bit, we we have this young witch who kind of outs herself in public un, without intending to, and she happens to be the daughter of a very powerful person, so this question of finding the new witches becomes desperate. And even at war college, you're gonna to start to see some guys, which is unusual, right? You know, you're not used to seeing a lot of guys in training and there are some wonderful male characters who are part of the group this year. And they're there because really it's all hands on deck. You know, the the deep sort of knowledge is that the big war is coming. And so we gotta find everybody, especially these new witches because they're also very vulnerable, vulnerable to attack from the Camarilla. So it's quite urgent right away to find
0: And it's urgent that you guys are watching it live every Tuesday at 10 o'clock Eastern time at Motherland, Fort Salem. You can also watch it again, by the way, next day on Hulu. So you should be watching it twice, really, and see what this guy's cooking up for this season and his writers as well. Elliot Lawrence, thank you so much for joining me, sir.
3: Appreciate it.
0: That should definitely get Ryla fans fired up, right? So you know something's coming, you just don't know what it is, and and that's just that's par for the course for my entire conversation with Elliot, right? There's so many things that we know are coming, whether it's about the Camarilla, whether it's about Alder's past. There are so many different things to look forward to in this season of Motherland Fort Salem. It's appointment viewing every Tuesday at 10 o'clock Eastern Time on Freeform. Watch it again just in case you missed anything. On Hulu the next day because I think this is going to be an even bigger and even badder season of Motherland Fort Salem. This week, the Dan and Erty podcast once again brought to you by Care of, a quick and easy way to take the vitamins and supplements you already want to take anyway. But here's the thing, especially for me, I didn't know necessarily what I might need, what I might be lacking. That's why Careof has this quick online quiz that you can take. It's less than five minutes to take. They ask you some very simple questions. And after that, you get a list of recommended vitamins and supplements that you might need to take. It might ask you how you're sleeping. It might ask you, you know, where you live. And and here's the thing, like living at a higher elevation, I didn't even know that I might be lacking in a certain thing just because of that. So that was one of the things that was recommended for me. And There were some things on there that I didn't even know about, but here's the thing about that. Maybe you're thinking, ah, that makes me nervous, and that's kind of me too. But Care Of is so transparent about the stuff that they give you. They actually give you all of the research and the sourcing behind these products. It's backed by science, so if you're not sure what it is, you can look up all the information right there in front of you. There's no mystery and what you're going to be putting into your body. And then once you do get your recommended supplements, they actually come in these daily individually wrapped packets. Your name is on there and everything. And it's just easy to get in a routine when it's right there in a daily pack for you. It's hard to forget something when you're just pulling out a packet every day. And again, your name's right there in the package. So this is personal to you and your unique health needs and stuff that's going to help you And remember, these are recommendations. Even if there's something on there that you're not sure about, you're like, "Ah, I don't know that I want to take that yet. What you get's up to you, you can adjust your packs at any time. And let me make it a little bit easier on you too. For 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code NERDY50. That's TakeCareOf.com, code nerdy r d You'll get 50% off. Your first order. You want to try to be healthier. You want something that's good for you. You want something that has clean ingredients. That is what Care Of is all about. So get in a routine and help take care of yourself with Care Of. Again, thanks to Elliot Lawrence for joining me this week to talk about Motherland, Fort Salem. Up next, yes, another amazing guest, Zainab jaw will talk to me about her role on Hulu's False Positive. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hi, this is Clarissa Tibo from Marvel's Runaways, and you're listening to
0: the Down and Dirty Podcast. Ah, the miracle of childbirth, but it can be a nightmare at times. And one of those times is Hulu's False Positive, a very, very eerie and intense thriller, but also has a little bit of humor involved there as well—dark humor from John Lee and Alana Glazer, who were the ones that cooked up this project. And my guest this week is Zainab Ja, who plays Grace Singleton on the movies, so she's gonna kind of tease for us what you can expect before you start watching False Positive on Hulu. Zainab, how you doing? I'm good, thank you, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. So, False Positive, I mean, kind of an eerie and a thriller, and there's all kinds of stuff going on there at times, so, certainly keeps you guessing. What was your first impression of the film when you first got the role?
2: My first impression of the film when I got it was, especially when I got the script, was, um, "Oh, this is a really interesting, tight, nerve-wracking, psychological thriller with a bit of satire thrown in. That was it. And then as we started working on it, I saw way more. (laughs) Much more was revealed to me in actually being a part of it. So it was a wonderful surprise.
0: Now, not a whole lot has been revealed about your character up to this point. So how much can you actually tell us about Grace Singleton?
2: She is a professional in her field. She's at the top of her field and she's a very grounded and grounding presence, but she's also very straight, no nonsense, straight talking, will tell you the truth about yourself in in short order. And so she's very, very direct and down and straight to the point.
0: No doubt about that. Wait till you guys see it. That is a very apt description <laughs> for sure. <laughs> now obviously Lucy's going through a lot. We know that just from reading the synopsis. So how much can you tell us about how Grace feels about Lucy and vice versa, actually? I
2: think Lucy by the time she gets to Grace she's at a place of desperation and she's finally listening to a woman's intuition and saying I need to speak to another woman who will understand what I'm speaking of and what I'm going through and Grace I feel sees um Lucy as someone who is maybe a little bit sheltered a little coddled, and um you know is used to wanting something and getting what she wants and if she's not getting it she, it's, she's really thrown and she's just know it's almost as a certain entitlement to like well this is what i want why can't i have it you can give it to me i know i've heard of you know people in your field you can do this so you know so i think grace sees her as someone who needs to um trust her intuition a little bit more but also be specific what you want be careful what you wish for basically
0: Interesting, interesting. So my wife and I actually struggled with our own infertility issues uh, years ago before we were blessed with our wonderful family. So how important do you think it is that this film kind of brings some of those struggles to light and also some of the difficult decisions that actually pregnant women have to face?
2: I think this film really touches on it because it certainly hasn't been something that I've given much thought to until I did this film. And so it really raised some issues that I had not really given much thought to. Even though I do have a few friends who've been going through the same thing, quite a few girlfriends who've been trying, trying, and and the pain and the most, and now I realize just how vulnerable they are emotionally and psychologically when you're in that place and where you want this one thing, which is what you feel is your right as a woman, motherhood. When that's not happening, you feel so vulnerable and you feel so, what is wrong with me? You know, I'm supposed to, all my plumbing, all my wiring says this is what I'm supposed to do. And so it's um, it really puts it set, front and center of, you know, the trauma and the turmoil that women go through when it's trying to achieve motherhood. I myself have not gone through that. I, I do not feel the need yet. And so, you know, I didn't really understand, uh, empathize until I did this film and I thought, oh, wow, there's nothing a woman wouldn't do to fulfill that side of what makes her a woman.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that, for sure. So I think, you know, taking a little bit of a different different direction here, how do you think Grace would feel about Dr. Hindle, just based on reputation alone?
2: I think Grace would give him some major side eye. That's what I- (laughs) I love that you're actually giving us the
0: side eye. The side
2: eye (laughs) would be epic and legendary, darling. I'd be like, hmm, mm, I don't know about you, okay. Carry on. I'll take on my grandmother's persona, where it's just mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carry on. <laughs> but I he's really you. good. He's the top. He's at the top of his profession. So of course, we all look at people who are there. You just think, well, what did you do to get there? How did you get there? Are you really that good? Are you really that good? Is it all hype? Mm-hmm.
0: I like it. I like it. Now, you mentioned before. I mentioned before how the film kind of really keeps you guessing, and you actually mentioned that as well. How do you think that this film actually deals with the idea? of perception versus reality, because I,
2: I feel like that's big here. Oh, it, hand, it handles it exceptionally well, you know, because in in almost every case of every character in this film, there, there's what people say about them and what they say about themselves. There's what people think of them and what they think of themselves. It's all about perspective. What Lucy thinks of Grace is not necessarily who Grace is. You know, we're superimposing our uh, impressions are on someone. We're making, we're coming to, you know, conclusions about someone that you may not really know. You know, that's it, it, and you see that a lot throughout this film. The, the film itself is very much like that, you know. I guarantee you, when you see the film uh, next time, you're gonna see things you didn't see before. You're gonna think, huh, I thought this was, oh, that's not what I thought it was in the beginning. So I love that about, you know, keeps you guessing. It's like a Rubik's cube, you know.
0: No doubt about it, and stuff makes a lot more sense once you see it, once you see it through to the end too. That yes. that's just another thing I'll throw in there. So, given that both Alana Glazer and John Lee have kind of more of a comedy background, were you surprised at how different this film was from their previous work? But do you also feel like that helped them find moments of humor that otherwise you wouldn't find in movies like this.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I was pleasantly surprised because you know, like I said, we know Alana specifically as a as a comedic performer and so it was wonderful to see that dramatic side of her and she, how focused she was and how powerful it was you know because we're expecting the laughs to come thick and fast and it doesn't because it's like it's a completely different thing but but it's still not one of those like seriously tight and dark and gloomy and you know there's still moments of levity and, and humor which is great which actually grounds, grounds it in reality further so it's a wonderful you see it's a wonderful dichotomy that you see between them.
0: I feel like you get a lot more of that mix in a theater setting and you have a theater background as
2: well. Do you feel like any of your work in the theater actually helped prepare you for this role? Absolutely. I think everything I've ever done in theater prepared me for this role just because you know you get so used to mining and excavating your way to finding the heart, the core of a character. And and theatre, you get to do it every day, every day, every day uh, until you find that, you know, sometimes maybe the last day of the show, that's when you really find and you still think, oh, I've got to, I could find a bit more if I had three more months, you know, and theatre has really honed that muscle in me where I find, you know, I can get there much quicker, I can get, because also the writers have written it in a way where it's like, it's just down, they've gone through so many rewrites and drafts that by the time you get it, it's pretty much at the core of the story and it's wonderful. You just step in there and just do your thing, do your job.
0: now, before I let you go, I know that you've, I don't know if you've been able to see the film in its entirety yet, but if you have, I want you to tease for us a little bit, of course, no spoilers. I mean, for anybody who's gonna be watching this on June the 25th, how wild was that ending?
2: It was pretty wild. Even <laughs> I was taken aback when I saw that. I literally fell off my seat. Off. I nearly, cause you know, I'd forgotten about it. And then I saw it, and I went, oh, 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 wait a minute. I have a swivel chair in my office. So I had to spin around for a few times. Go, oh,
0: the worst kind of chair to be watching this movie. Yes, <laughs> you,
2: forget, you spin, you're like, oh my God. Yes, it was wonderful. It was so much fun. You guys are <laughs> going
0: to see it for yourselves. False positive coming to Hulu on June the 25th and wait to see Grace Singleton, the soothing Grace Singleton.
2: And sign Zainab Jha. Good. Thank
0: you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Let me tell you, you're going to be turned around in so many different directions when you're watching False Positive on Hulu. There's stuff that's going to just make your eyes pop out. There's stuff that might make you laugh even if you don't want to laugh. It's it's just a very, very clever way that this thing is crafted and wonderfully acted by Zynob and so many great stars that are in this movie. So make sure you're watching False Positive on Hulu streaming right now. This week, the Down and Odie podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. And you've heard me talk about these amazingly delicious, fresh, and pre-measured meals and ingredients that makes recipes simple. It basically, it just cuts out the stress of meal planning is what it really does. And you don't have to go to the grocery store as much. You can actually cook and enjoy cooking dinner and get it on the table in 30 minutes or less. And I mean, the, the variety is crazy. There's all kinds of different options, all three meals a day, plus there's snacks and special treats. I'm still thinking about those San Antonio burrito bowls that I had from HelloFresh. My mouth waters every time I think about that. So again, if those are ever an option for you, make sure you're getting those. And you know that I'm also partnered with Green Chef too, and HelloFresh owns Green Chef, and it's a great way to go back and forth. Between the two, I really, really love the different recipe options and the different ingredients that they use. But it's all good stuff, no matter which one you choose or both. I mean, I'd recommend both, but you can choose one or the other as well. Because HelloFresh has got high-quality, fresh ingredients that are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door. It's less than a week, and it's contact-free, too, by the way. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to HelloFresh.com Nerdy14 And use code NERDY14 for up to 14 free meals plus shipping. 14 free meals. That's crazy. Go to HelloFresh.com slash N-E-R-D-Y 14 and use code N-E-R-D-Y 14 to get up to 14 free meals. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to remember why you used to enjoy making dinner. Why the whole family is going to be happy when it's all said and done because it's delicious and you know that it's good for you too. You work hard, you're busy. Let's take the stress out of one thing in your day, and that's making dinner with HelloFresh. Again, thanks to Zainab Ja for joining me this week to talk about False Positive, which is now streaming on Hulu. Up next, going to be talking about Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. I'll give you my spoiler-filled review of the animated film. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Julie
3: Nathanson from Far Cry 5, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Grab the bags of candy and get the costumes out of storage. It's time for my spoiler-filled review of Batman The Long Halloween Part 1, which is now available on digital HD and Blu-ray as well. And here's the thing, and again, spoilers from here on out, but I want to say this right now. This movie is wonderfully simple in a way, and I'm going to explain that because... What I mean by that is this is, at its core, a detective story. This is a who done it story, basically. And, by the way, this is Batman not just realizing that he needs to be a detective, but becoming a detective as well. This is him realizing it's not just going out on the street and punching people. This is also about, hey... I need to actually solve these cases to help people. I need to collect the evidence and analyze things. So this isn't Batman when he's already polished and he has all of these things figured out. No, no, no. This is a ground floor of him being and becoming a detective. You've also got a young Harvey Dent. You've also got a younger commissioner, well, captain in this particular movie, Captain James Gordon. As well, I mean, hey, Barbara is still a little kid in this movie. As a matter of fact, so uh, it's just really it, that's one of the things I really liked about it the most was that it was just a good, at least a good baseline, anyway. For because this is part one of a detective story, and here's the other thing too, and 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 again, I'm gonna bounce around a little bit here and, and watch out for spoilers. Troy Baker's back as Joker which I always love, and you know, you see Joker, and you're like, ah, do we need Joker in this movie? Because, you know, you get a lot of Joker in Batman stories, but here's the thing, this is an angle of Joker that is different from what you normally see in Batman movies, okay, because you've got the holiday killer, and he's the spotlight, right? You know the story by now, he only kills on holidays, and basically what he's doing is he's taking out members of crime families, like the Falcone family and things like that. And I'll get to Falcone here in just a second. But you've got Joker who learns about this holiday killer and says, no, 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 no. I'm the big, I'm the big killer. I'm the big criminal on the block here. And I'm not going to let some clown come in. Yes, pun intended. And try and steal my spotlight. So he wants to kill the holiday killer just as much as Batman and the commissioner and everybody want to catch him. How's that for a little bit of a twist on the Joker, a little bit of jealousy on the Joker's part. That is an angle that you don't really see when it comes to the Joker. And I got to tell you, there wasn't a ton of Joker in this movie. At least I didn't think so, but it was impactful in a way that I kind of didn't expect. And I was a good breath of fresh air. I'm not going to lie because I did roll my eyes when I saw Joker was going to be a part of this movie. But now that I see it, And now that I see how it was worked in, I liked it. It was a very, very cool and different angle for them to take. Jansen Eccles can play Batman whenever he wants, as far as I'm concerned, especially in animation, because, I mean, he's just got this presence about him with that character that I really, really enjoy. It's nice to see him back in the role. And I got to tell you, I just talked to Titus Welliver about Bosch. Did you know he's Carmine Falcone in this movie as well? And you want to talk about a performance that comes out of nowhere for me. Titus Welliver is fantastic as Carmine Falcone. He really, really is. And the way that you, you kind of get the, uh, not a ton, but some of the inner workings of the family. And you've got Jack Quinn who plays Alberto Falcone as well. And you get to see some, something happens with him at some point. In this movie, that's a that's a big big moment, and you see that how that affects Carmine as well, and and just just the shakeup that happens because of the Holiday Killer and these crime families that are you know they're not necessarily at each other's throats, but they're certainly not buddies either. So you get to see that uneasy dynamic within Gotham as well, and how Gotham is slowly starting to unravel. Again, this is at the beginning of when Batman is realizing he needs to be more of a detective. So Gotham is just starting to come apart at the seams at this point. And you see that taking its effect not just on Batman, but on Harvey Dent in the early stages as well. Plus, Dent's got some personal issues to deal with with his wife, who's played by Julie Nathanson. And that is a big, big weight for him. You've also got Captain Gordon, who's who's dealing with his own family issues. Because again, things are getting more and more serious. But let me just say this. Alistair Duncan is fantastic as Alfred Pennyworth. And the dynamic between Bruce Wayne and Alfred in this movie, I think, is really, really important. Because it's really Alfred... Helping to mold Bruce into who he needs to be, whether Bruce realizes it or not. And it's a very clever way that this was done, and you gotta credit Tim Sheridan with the screenplay on this also director, Chris Palmer, for crafting this thing and putting it together that way because it's very clever. It's not obvious. You have to wanna see it. And and I really I thought it really, really stood out for me. Also, the way that Naya Rivera's Catwoman is used in this movie, I thought was also very, very clever. She does such a wonderful job, and I love that they had that. They actually have a tribute to her at the end of the movie in the credits, which I thought was a very, very classy move. And as far as villains go, though, Dave Desmalchins' Calendar Man is going to haunt me. I'm telling you right now, the way that he voices this character, for some reason, it just sent shivers up my spine. And it's not even a ton. It's It's very quick. But I thought very impactful as well in bringing in Calendar Man. So, I mean, that that is pretty much the gist. That is the simple part of it. And yes, there is going to be a part two that's going to be coming out in the next few weeks that I'm sure that I'll talk about again. But let me tell you right now, this movie is so wonderfully simple in its delivery. And there, is, don't get me wrong, there's action in here, too. There's plenty of punching, kicking, so don't... And there's explosions and stuff like that, so don't get me wrong. But at the same time, this is, at its root, a detective story. And the world's greatest detective realizing that he needs to become that. And there's nothing wrong with finding out how he gets to that point and how that story begins to be told. Because this is... You know, you hear the complaints all the time. You know, let's not see Batman's parents get shot again. We don't need to see poor Thomas and Martha gunned down in Crime Alley again. What we need is a different kind of origin, and this is it. We've already got Bruce Wayne as Batman. Now here's his next origin, realizing that he can't just bring justice to the streets by beating up bad guys. He has to bring justice to the streets By being smarter, by being a detective and solving these crimes and looking at the clues. And you get to see the ground floor of that and get to see him make mistakes in doing that, by the way. Because I don't care how good of a hero you are in the very beginning of things, you're going to make some mistakes. So I think that that's really, really interesting that we're getting a different kind of origin story here that's not really an origin story. You understand what I'm saying. This is a different entry point in the Batman mythos that we haven't really gotten before now. And it is a, just like a lot of things in this movie, a freaking breath of fresh air. So don't go into this thinking that it's going to be laced with action from start to finish. If you want a nice whodunit that's going to keep you guessing and you want to find out what it was like for Batman when he was first becoming the detective of the world's greatest detective you're going to definitely want to watch Batman The Long Halloween Part 1 because if you love that and you love it, it's almost like a noir style as well. I think you're really, really going to love this. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. Up next, we're going to dive right into the biggest nerd news of the week. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sean
2: Ryan. And I'm Eric Kripke. And we're the creators of Timeless on NBC, and you're listening to the Down and
3: Nerdy Podcast.
0: Proof that nostalgia can be a beast, it's time for nerd news. And yes, the Transformers live-action movies have sort of steadily gone downhill over the years, I think is a nice way to put it. But could they be trying to right the ship with a little bit of nostalgia, like I said? So during a virtual event to kick off the production of the new live-action Transformers movie, it was revealed that they are going to be diving into the Beast Wars story with Transformers Rise of the Beast. That's going to be the name of the new live action movie. And now it's going to be set in the mid 90s. And yes, it talks about Maximals. It talks about Predacons and it talks about Terracons and existing in this battle between the Autobots and the Decepticons. So they're not abandoning the Autobots and Decepticons completely. They're also not abandoning using people. In this story, because Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback are going to be starring in the movie with Steve Capel Jr. directing. Now, I'm not going to give you the laundry list of producers, although Michael Bay was listed as one of them. So take that for what it's worth. But I will say this. I've said many times in the past that Transformers needs to abandon the human element of their stories in live action and just focus on the Transformers themselves. And I will say that Netflix has done a beautiful job with this with War for Cybertron. In, the, in this trilogy, they've done a fantastic job telling the story and not having to worry about or rely on a human presence. I think that that's just worked out really, really well. But maybe it's because that's been something that I've been clamoring for. And now that I finally got it, I, I've, I've vaulted it up. Although I do think it's a damn good story, so I, I don't know that I'm necessarily doing that. But that's one of my worries here is that we're still doing the human element thing. And I guess you, you maybe you have to if you're going to dive into Beast Wars, right? Although I do like the fact that it's going to be set in the 90s. I think there'll be something to be said for that. And I guess the key is, is that we've only got a small synopsis here. Where are we going to be at in this story at this point? I think that that's going to be a real key to what goes on here. And how is this going to look? Because if you remember, for for its time, the Beast Wars series was ahead of its time. But if you look back on it now, it's like, yeesh. Not and I'm not saying it wasn't good and it still isn't. But visually, you're like, okay, this, you know, this doesn't look as good as you would like it to. And you understand, given again, given the times. But how do you age that up and make it look really good in a live action setting? I think that that's going to be really, really key to how this movie is going to go. Because again, it's a Transformers movie. If it looks amazing and the action sequences are amazing the story is going to take a little bit of a backseat anyway. I still think you have to have a good story, but I don't think you have to have a great story as long as it looks good. So that is a, going to be a very important component of this. And and again, don't try too hard to be funny. That's my, that's my other thing. If I were to say another thing, I would say don't try too hard to be funny. And I think that that's another thing I'm worried about when you go into the whole Beast Wars mythology. Although, we're talking about Rise of the Beast here, so... We're, it's almost like an origin story, ground floor type of thing. So finding out how they came to be in this particular setting might be pretty interesting as well. So we'll have to see where this goes. It'll be released sooner than you think, actually. June 24th, 2022 from Paramount Pictures and Sky Dance with Hasbro and New Republic Pictures. Here's a couple of new trailers that came out this week that were really, really exciting. And the one that got me the most excited was The Harder They Fall from netflix which is going to be coming sometime this year no particular release date and this is basically a modern day well i say modern day it's it's a western is what it is and it's got an amazing cast it's actually called in the synopsis it's called the new school western you've got jonathan majors is in this thing idris elba zazie beats you've also got rj seiler you've got Lake Stanfield, the Great Regina King is a part of this thing and if the the trailer is just the action and the fun in this thing is non-stop. And Regina King is as fierce as she's ever been. Idris Elba just has that presence about him and he he's going to play the bad guy in this particular sense and Jonathan Majors playing the good guy that's trying to hunt him down. Well, he, well they're, they're outlaws anyway, regardless. But And each outlaw has their own faction. So that's really cool as well. So they've each got their own faction. And just the way that you see the action come together in this trailer. And the way you see the swagger of these characters, right? And then you hit the soundtrack on this thing as well. By the way, Jay-Z is one of the producers on this thing. So you know the soundtrack is going to be killer just based on that alone. And Jameis Samuel is going to be doing the directing for this thing, too. So, I mean, this cast, top to bottom, it looks absolutely incredible to me. And I didn't even know this movie existed until this trailer came out. And I'm glad that I saw this today because, I mean, it just blew me away when I saw it the first time. I'm a sucker for a good Western anyway, and this seems like it is a Western with more of a modern feel to it, and I say modern, not in the sense that you know they've they've got guns and horses, but cell phones too. No, 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 no. It just has that it has that feel of using modern type vibes and storytelling. I guess this is the best possible way I could put it. I don't care how you put it. Watch this thing when it comes out later this year. Because it's going to get a limited theatrical release and on Netflix as well. I can't wait for this thing. Another one that might have flew under the radar that you didn't really know about or haven't seen yet is a movie called Settlers from IFC Films. It's going to be coming out on July the 23rd. Limited release theaters and on demand as well. Now, Brooklyn Prince is in this thing. Of course, she was just on the show talking about Home Before Dark. You've also got Sofia Botella from The Mummy and Atomic Blonde and a couple of other movies she's going to be in this thing. Johnny Lee Miller going to be in this as well. And basically, it's a remote Martian frontier settle- settlement And it's a refugee family from Earth. They were looking for a better life somewhere else. And now some strangers are showing up on their land and trying to run them off of it, basically. And there's this desperation aspect to to this story. And some really weird and creepy things are happening in this trailer. And maybe not everything is as it seems. And maybe they thought they were alone and they really weren't but we're not really talking Martians in the sense of little green men here. We're talking about Martians in the sense of basically like real life people the, you know, like earth, earth people, humans. So there's a very frontier aspect to this story, right? Instead of, and I put this, when I put the trailer up on down and nerdy it's, it's like, it's almost like akin to trying to keep somebody from parking your wagon on your plot of land in Oklahoma back in the frontier days this is a different planet and it, there's a lot more questions out there to be asked and it, i'm really hoping that this gets you know how they got there why they went there sort of thing too and you know keeping a family kit together that's also part of the story as well and kind of, but but i'm i've seen many movies with sofia batella i wouldn't mess with her okay i just would not mess with her at all so i feel sorry for whoever's trying to mess with her family But this is also going to be directed and written by Wyatt Rockefeller. I've just got a good feeling about this from seeing the trailer. So I'm really looking forward to seeing where this one's going to go and see how this is going to shake out. So Settlers is one that I've definitely got my eye on. Here's something that I hesitated to talk about because it it just happened as I'm recording this this show. This has sort of just happened. The dust hasn't really settled on it yet. But I think it's too juicy of a story to not talk about. So I, I will, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I'm recording this late on Thursday night when the news is just broken. I'm sure it'll change between now and, the, and maybe the time that you listen to this. So just bear with me on this because I'm going to give my opinion on this as it stands right now. What we know is that a Supernatural prequel series is going to be coming from Jansen Eccles and his wife, Danelle. Okay, And the series is going to focus on Sam and Dean's parents, John and Mary. Now, here's the interesting part of this whole thing. Rob Thompson is going to be involved in this as well. Here's the interesting part of this whole thing. Apparently, Jared Padalecki didn't know about this until he saw it on Twitter. And he's pretty upset about it. Gutted is the way that he put it. Now, he tweeted a couple of different things. I won't re- read the tweets verbatim, but he tweeted a couple of things saying, you know, he had no involvement whatsoever and that he was gutted by this whole thing. He actually went as far as to comment on Robbie Thompson's post saying that he was a coward. And this seems like a legit angry rant from Jared Paddle. Now, Jared, granted, Jared's moved on. He's he's playing in, in the Walker Reboot series right now doing a fantastic job. It's going to be a season two on that thing. So, you know, he's not, it's not like he's doing poorly and he's lashing out out of like spite or anything. So, but at the same time, do you think he should, if this is all true and it's not some joke, and I don't see how it could be a joke, what's the benefit of this being a joke, right? Yeah, you would rile up the fandom. They're riled up anyway. A lot of fans aren't sure that they really want this anyway because, you know, Sam and Dean's parents weren't the best let's just put it that way right let's put it out there so John and Mary weren't weren't awesome but you know maybe there is a story to be told there but there's the whole you know should he have been told should he not have been told I mean after you work with somebody 15 years you'd think that you'd at least let them know right but I don't understand if this is a joke what's the end game here this is a project that's very much in development right and i know you got you got to generate some some buzz for stuff that's in development too and that and, you know there's no guarantee that anything's going to get picked up but at the same time i don't understand why you do this na- you would do this now as a joke to generate buzz it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me that this was a joke so I, that's why i kind of feel like this is legit now the thing that kind of gives me pause here is that eric kripke creator of supernatural seems to not only know about this, have known about this, but he supports it. He actually says in his tweet, and I'm going to only read part of this, he said, when Jensen Eccles first told me this story, I loved it, and that the people involved, basically, I'm paraphrasing, are the perfect people to make it. And he actually says the other perfect person is too busy Texas rangering. And he says, thanks for carrying the torch, yada, yada, yada. So Eric Kripke is very much in support of this. Now, if Eric Kripke, obviously he knew he knew about this in advance. So if Jared wasn't told by anybody, including Kripke, and that's legitimate, you could see why he would be upset. I mean, this was 15 years of his life, too. And he's a major part of this. You could understand where he'd be upset. But the other side of that is, well, you know, he's kind of moved on. He clearly wouldn't have time for this anyway. And it's not like he's just going to bail on Walker to do this. So no matter how much in love he is with, with the story and these characters, you're not going to bail on your current project from the same network, by the way, the CW. So you you kind of, at the same time from Jensen Eccles perspective is like, look, man, you know, I knew you weren't going to have time for this, so I just, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and do it. Now, does that mean that, you know, Jared wouldn't have time to, like, consult or anything like that? No, I'm sure if, you know, he could be involved as he really wanted to be, you'd think. So what does this say about their relationship off-camera? Does it matter if they're buddies? Does it? I mean, I guess from a fandom perspective, you want them to be, right? But... If they weren't buddies, does that take away from the fact that you love the show? Probably not, too. So I kind of see both sides of this. I don't see the benefit of this being a joke. Of course, like I said, as more comes out about this, it could end up ultimately being a joke. I don't see how that would be productive at all. But this will be a very interesting thing to keep an eye on. Because if this escalates, that could certainly muddy the waters of the fandom that is already kind of if you this anyway. So if the fandom is outraged about Jared, not knowing what happened, that's going to be one more difficult, one more difficult thing and difficult hurdle for this show to clear in order to be picked up really quickly. Something brand new coming to HBO max. If you're a Hanna-Barbera fan, this could be something very, very cool. It's a show called Jelly- Jellystone, And it's basically going to be a mashup of all these different Hanna-Barbera characters. And they're going to be put in a town together called Jellystone, and basically, you know, there's going to be you know havoc wreaked by all. There's going to be all kinds of hijinks and stuff like that. And they're reimagining these characters for the modern world and to reintroduce them to today's younger audience. So, like Huckleberry Hound is the mayor. You got Cindy Boo Boo and Yogi are actually the medical staff of the town. That just sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Having Yogi be in charge, having Yogi be the doctor. <laughs> it just it, it just makes me laugh. So basically, I could not possibly read all of the characters that are involved here because it's pretty much all of them. But I will tell you that C.H. Greenblatt is the showrunner, going to be voicing a few of the characters on here as well. But like Ronald Funches is a part of this thing. Dana Snyder is a part of this. You've got Paul F. Tompkins. Jenny Lorenzo is a part of this. I'm just picking out a few names here. As I go along, but th- there's so many big character names and and voiceover names that are a part of this as well. And this comes from a place of love because Greenblatt actually says, you know, I grew up watching a ton of Hanna-Barbera canteen- cartoons and he has a deep love for these characters, as do I. And it's going to be coming out, by the way, on Thursday, July 29th, season one premieres on HBO Max. I understand that and I and I saw the trailer and it's very much a, a it is definitely a modern reimagining these might not necessarily be the characters that you remember and love but at the same time there's nothing wrong with doing this either right and I'm certainly interested to see where these characters could go because at, at the same time you're going to take pieces from the character that you remember from back in the day and work that in to the way of telling this modern story, the spirit of the character, I feel like is still going to be there for a lot of these characters. Some of them will have to be more different than others, but like Yogi, you see Yogi in the trailer and he's still Yogi, right? He just happens to be a doctor now and can probably afford to buy his own picnic baskets at this point. So I feel like the spirit is there but it's going to be a little bit of a different spin and that's going to turn some people off. But I, I, for one, I'm very interested to see where this is going to go. So I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out Jellystone and see what's going to happen coming up on HBO max. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to my many amazing guests this week. Also great sponsors. Hello Fresh, And also care of, so make sure you're jumping on those offers as well, find out more information about what, we, what we've got going on at down and nerdy and always on social media at down nerdy 757 on Twitter, on Instagram, and at down and nerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.